How you doing, ladies and gentlemen? It's Michael C. Bouchard, the host of the Night Stalker podcast. Um, tonight, we're going to kind of keep somewhat in our normal realm of unidentified dead bodies, unsolved homicides, and unexplained disappearances. What we're going to do is... go over one of my books. It's called The uh, Covered Bridge, The Map of the Future. This book, unlike the other ones, uh, is actually a mystery thriller. Uh, People involved are all characters that I uh, came up with. Uh, Location, however, all the locations are real. And I'm going to give you a quick preview of the book, and then what I'm going to do is go into the... uh, behind the scenes because you know when you pick up a, when you pick up any type of novel and you read it you know the reader is always having questions well how did this name come to be how did this location get picked how did this one become the murderer how did this one become the victim so on and so forth uh before we get into that um all my books can be found on amazon And my writer's name is Michael C. Bouchard. I go by Mike Bouchard. Uh, Michael C. will usually bring up uh, all of the available books right now. Um, The podcast, uh, so far uh, this series, the Night Stalker podcast, uh, has been doing rather well. I mean, uh, we have a lot of interest. This is going to be episode number 15. And we're going to just call it the Covered Bridge. Um, so far, all of the 14 episodes did fairly well, except for two, which I was really surprised. One was the um, the Bob Lazar trilogy. Uh, Bob Lazar was the one who uh, got the Area 51 ball rolling. Um, normally, he used to pick up a lot of ratings. Uh, But I think over the years, uh, George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell and whoever else, uh, you know, they just beat it. They just beat the the, beat the uh, topic to death, and you know, most of well, probably everything Lazar is saying is just BS, and nobody wants to listen to that type of misinformation anymore. But uh, it makes some money, so here we go. The second one that really surprised me that didn't pick up any, um, that, I picked up a few, but not that many, uh, people looking at it was the, uh, the broken court system. And I would think that that would be a hot topic nowadays. Uh, you know, like most of you know, I've been in law enforcement for over 30 years and it's very seldom to have a cop, you know, go after the way investigations are done, uh, the way the court systems work. But in this, in this case, you know, in that, uh, podcast, and and I forgot what episode it is, to be honest with you. Um, I, I had a friend going through the court system for, you know, I wouldn't, you gotta realize I work in a big inner city. So most of these small time crimes, these small towns really, uh, to me, 
aren't anything that would make me lose a night's sleep over. But however, you know, I went to the uh, two court hearings with the defendant, and there were so many technical mistakes made by the court, the court itself, uh, outside agencies, the Department of Motor Vehicles, a law enforcement agency that was involved with her arrest. Uh, it was, it actually changed my way of looking at the court system and Well, you have to listen to it, but it, 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 it's something that, you know, you would think people nowadays would say, hey, you know what, man, this is pretty fucked up, you know, <laughs> let's let's listen to this shit, because this is a guy that should be on their side, but he's throwing rocks at their windows, so there must be a reason, so, um, you know, I, I'm good for the shock therapy treatment, I tell people the truth, and that usually pisses them off all the time, that's okay. So, today's book is going to be The Covered Bridge. It's going to have to do with serial killers, murderers, uh, people sniping people, and all kind of crazy-ass crap. And I'll just kind of read you a little uh, background that they stamped on the book. It says, when a skeleton is unearthed, unearthed near uh, Bennett Bridge uh, in the vicinity of Lincoln Plantation, Maine, Chief of Police Stephen Crawford and Patrolman uh, Jacob Andrews begin an investigation that leads into... Uh, unexplained disappearance of two people 30 years earlier. Crawford and then Jacobs find themselves the target of a serial killer who, who never left town. The hand-drawn map uh, by book sh- bookshop owner Charles Harris could hold the answer to the disappearance in the location where uh, inventor Nikolai Tesla's uh, secret notes are buried. Uh, the interesting thing about this is after I did a lot of research uh, into this uh, it was interesting that the book originally was developed around a few certain characters that at the time I didn't know if who was going to be the serial killer, who was going to be the victim, how many people died. But the location I, I picked was, um, it's also, it's uh, called Wilson Wilson's Mill Mills plural and that's uh, that's in Maine it's uh, up along the New Hampshire border uh, both of the Wilson Mill, Mills is located inside of Lincoln uh, plantation which is just north of the Galloway plantation uh, and borders really Earl Earl uh, Earl New Hampshire uh, which is close to uh, Dixville Notch, New Hampshire. Um, like I said, all of the locations are real. Street names are real. Characters are not real. The uh, McGallow, the link, the Lincoln McGalloway Police Department is not real. It is a fake police department that I, I made up in my mind. And the reason I did this was because. Anybody familiar with law enforcement realizes if you're a police officer in one town, to go over to the next town or next county or next state to do something, uh, it's just a big old pain in the ass. I mean, there's so much red tape, sometimes it's not even worth doing. So what I did was I made a multi-district uh, police department that, that they could cover 
quality areas I need them to cover in my book. Uh, <clears throat> the interesting thing is between Lincoln uh, Plantation, Maine, and the Galloway Plantation, Maine, the population between these two um, towns uh, is probably just under, give or take, 95 people. So <clears throat> it's geographically a large area with a very sparse, you know, very uh, sparse population, which made a good location to kill people, shoot things, and hide things where nobody's ever going to find it. Uh, my first, my first uh, um, attempt to get some information about the, the places, I actually called uh, the McGalloway uh, Town Hall. And I spoke to, at the time, was a clerk there. They were only open one day a week. It was, I think, I believe it was a Thursday, 8 to 12 noon, and that was it. And I said, listen, if I wanted to dump a body up, up in that area, where would I dump it? I said, could I dump it? Could I dump the body off of uh, Bennett Road? And she laughed at me. She goes, oh, you must be one of those writers just going up here all the time. I said, yeah. So what she said was, well, the funny thing is, I, I live off of Bennett Road. So, you know, we, we talked for about a half hour about this, that, and the other thing. So after the book, book actually was published, I wanted to send her a copy, not realizing that uh, the... Uh, McGalloway uh, Town Hall had been sold. Um, and I did happen, and I forgot how, how, what, how the circumstances around it, but I did locate her. I don't think she realized who I was because I think she was pretty pissed that the, the town hall got, uh, got closed and uh, the conversation didn't uh, go very far before she said, ah, you know what, I'm not interested. And that, it, that was long and short of it. Um, Two characters, some of the characters that you're going to find in the book, uh, Stephen Crawford, obviously Stephen Crawford isn't a real people person, but Crawford, the last name Crawford uh, came from um, Mark Crawford, the, uh, the son, Lucas McCain's son and the rifleman back in the days. Um there's another teenage uh, witness that's in here. Her first name is Aaron. I actually took that uh, that name from Aaron Moran. Uh, she was the um, she played Joni in uh, the Happy Days ser series, television series. So there's a little story behind everything in here. So. The, the kind of the the premise of the book is a husband and his wife, uh, Charles and Charlotte um, Harris, moved to uh, McGalloway Plantation, Maine, from Barnstable, uh, Massachusetts. And of course, anybody that's from Maine knows that anybody that comes from from south of Maine is considered a flatlander. So, Charles opens up a bookstore in Earl, New Hampshire, right across the street from the 
uh, LL Cody um, little shopping mall they have up there. And Charles is involved in finding vintage documents of all types and photographs and maps and all of this stuff. Well, he finds himself going to a, uh, a book sales for a, is that what, actually for, it was from a farm. It was the Wickham farm. Wickham farm doesn't exist, but for this purpose it does. Uh, the father had passed away. Father started collecting uh, older books and materials back in the early 1900s. Um, had a big room full of books, old maps and all of this stuff. The sons at that time, which would have been probably in the 1970s, two sons wanted to expand the farm. The farm was doing well. They needed an office, uh, bigger office spaces, so they decided to convert the family home into an office and business showroom. So in the process, they needed to get rid of the books. They put the books up on sale for auction. Charles goes there. Charles is very secretive about the type of documents and stuff he purchases. Uh, has them boxed up, thrown on a, uh, you can consider it a U-Haul truck, I suppose, something like that. Ships it back to the store. Make sure the boxes are always always sealed because he didn't want, want anybody to know what he was, exactly he was purchasing until he was able to uh, find out what the material is worth. He finds find some documents in there that suggest that they may have actually come from the hotel room in New York where um, Nikolai Tesla passed away at the age of 83. What he discovers were the notes were actually found by a maintenance person who actually kept them and they were found in the in a trash can that was in the hallway at the end of the hallway where Tesla's room was. Why why did Tesla get rid of the why did Tesla get rid of that information? That those documents? Well that's for the that's for the reader to figure out what you kinda you kinda get when you read it. So he finds all of these drawings, secret drawings, the secret drawings that they're always talking about that they can never find, which is interesting because when Tesla passed away, there was a reported 80 trunks of information in his, in his, uh, in his, uh, hotel room. Uh, the FBI to this day only has 30 to 50 reported. Nobody knows where the 30 went. So based on that premise, we went with the uh, secret papers, the papers works that nobody knew about. So Charles decides that the stuff is worth too much money. Uh, he has a friend. She's a secret. She's a, uh, she works up at a library. She's a library's age. She researches older documents. She reads some of these documents and somewhere down the road realizes the potential of what, what he actually has. He Charles gets nervous because he thinks people are on to him. 
So he draws, he redraws a map of a location where he's going to hide these things. So he seals them up in a metal box, seals it, waterproofs it, all kind of that good stuff, buries it, cuts the map into three, three different pieces. So throughout the book, people eventually end up finding three pieces. Um, and then one day, Charles leaves his, his business to go fishing, never shows up again. It disappears, along with a couple other people that are, were in the area that knew Charles, that knew a lot of people, because you got to realize it's a rural community. Rural community people know everything. They know what car doesn't belong in the, in the, in the community. They know what person doesn't belong in the community. And they know about everybody in the community. So, with that being said, so there's a lot of suspicion about all of these, these, uh, these disappearances. At the same time, the conflict here was, I didn't know at this time who was going to be the murderer. I didn't know who was going to be the victim. I kind of went chapter by chapter, and like I said, the one advantage of being in the law enforcement business for such a long time, it's not something like normal authors have to research what would the cops do, what would happen to this, how is this done. That This is nothing I needed to do. This was something that I've done. I, I, I know how to do it. So I made the pieces fit faster and easier than normal. Uh, it was just how I manipulated the characters and turned them into... What, what they, you know, what I wanted them to be. Um, at the same time, while we have people running around looking for pieces of the map, we have <clears throat> Chief Crawford and uh, Patrolman um, Andrews trying to identify who, who the skeletal remains were that were dug up by an electrical, uh, electrical crew digging to put a new... Uh, telephone pole up by Bennett Bridge. Uh, they're waiting, trying to identify who this person could be, and if they if they identified him, was there a link to any, something, or was there no link? Uh, at that time, they didn't even know if the suspect who had murdered, murdered or... First, they didn't know the reason why they disappeared, and then, obviously, with the skeleton, he's buried, so we know he's murdered. Um, they didn't really have any information, and they were wondering, well, did the, the suspect or the murderer flee, you know, leave town? Were, were they still in town? Um, and you got to remember, in a small community like that, if somebody just disappears, I mean, you don't know whether they just got tired of the place because there's nothing there and they disappear. And because there's so few people, who's really going to be looking? Probably not too many people. And as that's going on, we have a um, a person. His name is Drake Moreland. Drake Moreland took when his father passed away, he takes over the lumber business in Oxford County, Maine. And and Moreland's business basically has a monopoly on all of the lumber that 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 is going, you know being cut legally and illegally in the, in the county. Um, he has 
like I said, he has a monopoly on the lumber industry up there. Um, at the same time, he has, he drinks a little bit on the weekends. Uh, a lot of people know him as the local bully, the local drunk. He's a physically big man. Uh, his wife, Mary Moreland, um, has been a victim of being assaulted by him quite often. Uh, Mary is a small female, probably about 5'4", 120, 130 pounds at the most. So she's lived 20 years kind of under the tyranny of of her husband, uh, Drake. Um, there's the son, Joshua uh, Moreland. He does not get along with his father very well. Over the years, Mary is dipping into money coming into the business and storing it for the event that she decides one day she wants to leave. She can do that. And the really funny pinnacle is, is as I was going through this, all of this, uh, you know, it was really hard to determine what role each one of these people were going to play. Now, when Charles, Charles Harris, the bookshop owner, disappeared, a year after, his wife Charlotte, who still lives up in McGalloway Plantation, sold the business, and she had always wondered what happened to her husband. Uh, her husband's um, truck was found a few days after he was reportedly have, have disappeared up along Route, Route 16. Up, up along the McGalloway River. He was a flyer fisherman, so a lot of people um, expected that he would may have gone in trying to fish, and he, you know, may have drowned, may have got washed downstream. A lot of, uh, you know, there was a lot of what-ifs down there, but she, she had his truck taken and put into her barn. Be, the the Harris household consisted of basically a farm, a couple hundred acre farm with you know actively cultivated fields, corn, all that kind of stuff. So she had put it in a barn and locked the barn doors, and that's where it sat for years. The uh, one interesting note she did make was, you know, Charles before he disappeared was. He was nervous about someone thinking that he had Tesla's notes. And he thought either the government was coming after him, uh, a robber was coming after him, or somebody was coming after him. And when the truck was brought and put in the garage, it was apparent that the, the people that found the truck just had it towed that, you know, at the request of uh, Charlotte, had it towed there. Nobody looked under the... the uh, the driver's seat mat, and it was a loaded 45 automatic. So it shows that he was concerned about something. 
it showed whatever, for whatever reason, he disappeared. He didn't have time enough to grab a firearm or use it. So we have all of these little things that are, could lead up to something, might not lead up to something. You have a breaking in the bookstore a couple of weeks after he tried to, after he found the documents. You have a hired hand that works at the, the bookstore that's pretty shifty. Um, so you have a lot of these different elements, you know, developing during this whole story. Uh, the interest, the, the ending is pretty interesting and, and I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you, uh, give you any more information than that because obviously one that would be good for the suspense part of it if you're going to get it and read it. And second, obviously it wouldn't do very well for book sales. If I told you how all my books ended, then there would be no need to, need to buy them. Um, and throughout this, you're going to find a lot of the information, like I said, is factually. The landmarks, the towns, the city, the places, uh, you can go on a map. They're all there. They're all real. They all exist. Um, and you will find Chief Stephen Crawford and Patrolman uh, Jacob Andrews in a new and upcoming book. It's going to be called uh, uh, The Police Car uh, Conspiracy. It's either going to be the police car conspiracy or the police car caper. I'm kind of liking caper right now because conspiracy, everybody uses the word conspiracy. And it's kind of like, it's kind of a beat like an old rug. Caper sounds a little more premeditated. Uh, it's not used that much. It was an old-fashioned term used in the 30s, 40s, and 50s for the radio, old radio shows. So... But now that you have a little background on the book, if you do read it and you do have any questions, um, you can always contact me by my email, which is uh, forever, F-O-R-E-B-E-R, and then night, N-I-G-H-T, C-T, the numeral one, at Comcast.net. And just, if you send me an email, like I tell everybody in the podcast, it's just make sure that you either put a heading to it, either episode, title, or something, uh, something that I, I'm going to notice from either this podcast or <clears throat> a book you read or something like that, because I, I do get a lot of, I, I get a lot of spam mail, I get a lot, I, you know, I just get tons of mail, and although I try, I try to carefully go through a lot of the information, you know, sometimes you get stuff that's not titled, so you automatically, uh, believe it's junk and you delete shit and most of the time I delete shit shit I shouldn't have deleted but I did and I find myself with my hands on my ass and it's like oh my god what just happened with this crap um I haven't done the video part of any of these uh series yet um not very um not very keen on video thing myself. I mean, I always like radio. I always like listening. Um, you know, my emotions and expressions and this and that, I mean, they're here and they're there to watch on a TV set. I, I was doing a couple um, podcasts with a co-host and or being a co-host or guest, and I never had enough time to completely answer a, answer a question. 
without, you know, somebody jumping in or changing the direction or the dynamics of it. And, um, I stopped doing those, uh, I believe it was, I think it was the end of last year or the beginning of this year. So I'm going to be doing all the stuff here. The next case I'm trying to, you know, if anybody has a case that they want me to look at, uh, feel free to get a hold of me however you can on my li- my LinkedIn account, my Pinterest account. I don't care how you, through my email I just gave you. I, I don't really care how you want to get a hold of me. Um, but like I said, I was pretty shocked. I thought the the um, Bob Monday Bob uh, Lazar trilogy was going to fly, um, but I I just guess that you know the few car salesmen you have out there, uh, George Knapp, Jeremy Corbell, um, just to name a few, uh, Art Bell, um, they have just beaten the, beat George Norrie, they have just beaten the, 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 uh, Bob Lazar topic down to, uh, it would leak out of a paper bag right about now, and the fact is, they make a lot of money on it, but the fact is, from a police investigative point of view, and I've listened to a lot of lot of statements and a lot of freaking interviews in my time, over 30 years worth, um, it's all bullshit. You know, it's all bullshit. And uh, and like I said, you'll you'll notice if you read it quite often these these people that are protect protecting him are making or trying to prove that what he says is right or trying to they they're really they really exploit him for it because he's well known i mean he's not well known as a, a scientist although they say he is he's not he's not a scientist that uh, nobody can actually find a college degree from him because there, there aren't any um but from my perspective doing interviews with a lot of people uh, because most of the books i do are cold actual cold cases um yeah, that that's just a that's just a uh, he's just full of shit. So, uh, but maybe maybe he's not a main topic anymore. So if you have anything that could be a main topic, somebody give me a fucking yell so I know what the hell you know what to bring up. Uh, like I said, unexplained homicide. Well, unexplained homicides, unexplained disappearances, unsolved homicides, uh, or unidentified bodies. We do. I'll do all of that shit. Just, just somebody send me a, you know, send me a line out here, and and we'll see what we can do. And as usual, I will be placating the FBI FOIA to get the information for Dennis Lloyd Martin, who was a, <clears throat> a seven-year-old who disappeared from Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Seven years old, June fourteenth of nineteen sixty-nine. Fifty-two years later, the FBI says. We will not release this information. Well, I looked at the exclusionary rule, and it doesn't apply. One, it's not a criminal case. Second, 98% of the people involved are all deceased. And third of all, the the exclusionary rule for FOIA is basically made up of three parts, none of which any of of the Dennis Lloyd Martin things fits into. But they're going to be yanking my chain for the hell, who the hell knows how long, but that's how it is. So, I will get a hold of you. Well, next episode is going to be episode 16. Not sure what that's going to be exactly, but it will be something to um, 
raise your suspicions, give you some ideas, and remember, like I always say at the end of my podcast, when you're in that dark parking lot alone, you're work, walking down that dark street or in the woods on that, that path that's just big enough to get through the trees and the brush and everything else, or you're walking down a lonely street with one street light in an alleyway that's really dark, you never know who's behind you. Until the next time, I will be talking to you. This is Mike Bouchard, Michael C. Bouchard, host of the Night Stalker podcast.